Welcome in to another special episode of the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast and YouTube show. This is part of our series, The 50 Greatest Players of the Last 50 Years in the NBA. Today, we will reveal players 43 through 40. There are some very familiar names on this list. We are, I mean, we're already getting to the real meat of the list, but the person we are going to start with, I feel, was the single most glaring omission from the NBA's just released top 75 list. Now, we've had a few people already on my list that didn't make the top 75. Sidney Moncrief, who we discussed, Bernard King, who we discussed, who I felt were unfairly excluded. After this name we're about to reveal, there's only one more person on my list that is not on the NBA's list, and that will be controversial, and we will get to him of probably a couple months from now because he is very high on my list despite not making the top 75. But this person right here, in my opinion, his absence of being on the top 75 list nearly invalidated that list in its entirety. This person is, of course, the 43rd best player of the last 50 years in the NBA, Dwight Howard. Number 43, Dwight Howard. The fact that he was not included on the top 75 list made that more about popularity than about credibility. Dwight Howard, let's go over his resume. Five time, we're gonna go slow on this by the way. Five time, all NBA first team. For context, that is more than Dirk Nowitzki, Chris Paul, Kevin Garnett, or as of this moment, Steph Curry. None of those guys have as many first teams as Dwight Howard. He is a three time defensive player of the year. Apex Dwight in Orlando was so far and away the best defensive player in the league, there was not even a debate or a discussion about it. Career, top 15 all-time in rebounds and blocks. And now I want to talk about the MVPs. Because yes, he's five-time first-team All-NBA, plus one-time second-team, two-time third-team. But the MVP part of it is really the biggest part of his case. There's a five-year stretch where he was a consensus top-five player. You saw it right there. He finished second in MVP voting once, and he finished top five three other times. So he has four top five MVP finishes. And when he was at his apex, we will go to the postseason. He was the best player on a finalist. A finalist, by the way, that if not for the Courtney Lee missed putback, maybe, maybe takes that Lakers series not only to seven, maybe they win it. But how did Dwight peak Dwight before his back gave out where he had real issues. And again, some of this is his own doing because his game never matured. And some would argue he never matured. I understand that. But you can't hold the potential against him when what he realized was so great. Peak Dwight not only beat LeBron in a series, but the series that the Magic beat the Cavs, LeBron in that series averaged 39, 8, and 8. It might be the single best series LeBron's ever played, one could argue. And Dwight beat him in six with Jameer Nelson, Haydu Turkoglu, and Rashard Lewis as his key contributors. Dwight in that series averaged a humble 26 and 13. And in the deciding game six, you go to Dwight's first career NBA Finals, he put up a 40 and 14. 40 and 14 to send LeBron home to go to the finals. And then they lost in six to Kobe, obviously. So then... Was Dwight's career over there? No, everyone kills him for the Lakers year, even though that was one of the, what, five years he led the NBA in rebounding. His first year in Houston, 
You guys remember the playoff series. That was Dame's first career walk-off. The Dame where he waves goodbye to everybody and he beats Houston in round one. In that series, Dwight averaged 26 and 14 with three blocks for a series that, again, that his team loses in six. For in the playoffs, from 2008 to 2015, so the entirety of his prime, and then a couple years after his prime, he was 20 and 14 in the playoffs. And by the way, he's now a champion. Now, was he a huge part of that Lakers title team? No. But was he getting minutes? Was he valuable? You bet your ass he was. His, his not being included in the top 75 is ridiculous. And I want to, before we get to our caller, I want to ask Demonze a quick question. You don't do a ton on these shows, but it's good. I'm glad you're here. I'm here. Do you feel like Dwight is viewed by a lot of people, particularly your age or younger, as more of a joke or more of an all-timer? Uh, I, I'd say it's pretty mixed, but I'm probably going to err on the side of a joke. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that you don't, I mean, you don't have a lot of recollection of when Dwight was dominating the league. No. You were, no, you, you remember, like, you remember the, the images of the slam dunk contest and then the bad Stan Van Gundy press conference. He, again, he was an absolutely, all parties agreed, top five guy in the league for a five-year stretch. Top three guy in the league for a two-year stretch. For him to be not included in the top 75 list was outrageous. I think we have a caller that is going to comment on Dwight Howard. I want to hear it. Question for you, Nick. If you took Moses Malone's accomplishments and Dwight Howard's and you made it a blind resume test, how would you be able to tell the two apart? Just curious. Okay. All right, so Rick is actually going a step further than I would go. Rick is saying he and Dwight Howard and Moses Malone have similar resumes. They flatly do not. Now now I have to give Dwight all that praise. I now have to bring realities. Moses Malone, you're going to see him on this list. He's not just a top 30 guy. He's not just a top 25 guy. He's not just a top 20 guy. He's not just a top 15 guy of the last 50 years. Dwight has four MVP top fives. Moses has three actual MVPs. Dwight was the best player on a finalist. Moses was finals MVP on arguably the greatest team to ever play, the 83 Sixers. So, listen, I I think I made it pretty clear. I'm a big Dwight Howard supporter. Let's not go crazy and acting like he and Moses Malone have the same resume. They do not. Moses Malone and his fellow Sixer teammate, Julius Irving are probably two of the most disrespected players in NBA history. We'll get to them in a few months on this list, but now we will get to number 42. And number 42 is another controversial inclusion. Number 42, Anthony Davis. So Anthony Davis's top line resume is a clear no doubt guy, but then it gets a little hazier. So he's four time first team all NBA which as I mentioned just a moment ago, that's the same number Dirk and Kevin Garnett, two of the greatest power forwards ever. But he has no second or third team All-NBAs. He just has those first team All-NBAs. He was third in the MVP voting in 2018. And by the way, he has another top five. So he already has two top five MVPs. We know he's a great defensive player, four-time All-Defense, three-time champion, blocks champion. The question though is, is the resume thick enough? If if he had a bigger body of work, his top-level talent and his top-level achievements 
if the body of work were bigger, would have him higher than 42. I'm comfortable with where he is because even though his playoff resume does not span many games, he has an underrated, unbelievable playoff resume. So I'm going to tell you some things I'm certain you don't know about Anthony Davis. He is, for his career, 27 points per game in the postseason. That's good enough for top 10 all time. During that title run, he was 28 and 10. He was the second best player on a champion. That has to matter. They go to, he goes to the Lakers. They immediately win the title of second best player. And the first two games of those finals, which were the first two finals games of his career, how does he answer the bell? 34 and 9, followed by 32 and 14. After two games of those NBA finals, looked like, man, is Anthony Davis going to be finals MVP? Maybe. But it wasn't like he had just started showing up to the playoffs with those finals. When he was with New Orleans, not only did they sweep Portland, people forget this game, I don't, to, to win his first playoff series ever, game four against Portland. 47 and 10. 47 and 10 to send the Blazers, who were favored in the series, home. Then, in his, in the, his first playoff series with the Lakers to close out Portland, 40 and 9. The next round against Houston, he was good. Don't forget the Western Conference Finals. Western Conference Finals. Hey, battle of the big men. Jokic versus Anthony Davis. Jokic would go on to win the next MVP and damn near win another MVP right after. It, how did Anthony Davis end up doing it? What, how did he do against Jokic? Not only win in five, he averaged for the series 31-6 and six against a guy who would then immediately become, in some circles, the best player in the league. He had a buzzer-beating playoff game-winning three in that series. And so I think that you, you, the playoff resume, again, doesn't have a ton of games. He has 39 career playoff games. He scored 25 or more in 29 of them. So he has shown up. And as far as his regular season resume, the MVP finishes, the All-NBA speak to it. Here's another thing. Career in the regular season, 23 and 10. Some context. In the last 50 years, so from this list, our start of it, how many 20 and 10 regular season guys do you think there are? He's 23 and 10. There's 10 other guys in the last 50 years to average 20 and 10 for their careers. He's at 23 and 10. So the championship, the peak in New Orleans, the playoff run with the Lakers, the fact that I think this list will look stupid as soon as two or three years from now if he's not included, he has to be on it. I know he, be, he became, because he got hurt this year again, somewhat unbowed. Oh, he shouldn't have been top 75 guy. Let's be honest. And Davis top 75 guy. And we're not including what you do in college, but the title run in, at Kentucky matters at least a little bit. As number one pick, title in Kentucky, amazing immediately. Sounds like top 75 guy. We have an Anthony Davis caller, I do believe. Anthony Davis. Always injured Anthony Davis. Two playoff appearances in seven years in New Orleans, Anthony Davis. That's who you got in your top 50. I can't wait to find out where you have Kevin Love. Okay. Comparing Anthony Davis to Kevin Love is just totally disingenuous. Anthony Davis didn't have a lot of success in New Orleans, but he had more success in New Orleans than Kevin Love did in Minnesota. And Kevin Love, when he did team up with LeBron, was not the second best guy averaging 28 and 10 in a playoff run. He was the clear and obvious third best guy who became a liability at spots in the playoff run. 
So I, I, that's, a, that's just not a, a fair comp. And, and I understand he doesn't have, and I've said it, I said it before, I'll say it again, the volume you would love to have. But the top level production's so good, plus never backing down in the playoffs. Again, top 10 all-time playoff points per game. A guy who in his first playoff series victory closed it with a 47 and 10. His first playoff series with the Lakers closed it with a 40 and 10. Opened his first two career NBA finals games with 32 and 34. Stop 75 player. We'll be back with players 41 and 40 right after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back into the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast and YouTube show special editions. Best 50 players of the last 50 years in the NBA. We are counting them down. We are all ready to number 41. Today we will do 41 and 40. Then we'll be back in one week with, we're already into the top 40 players, 39 and so on and so forth. We already did today Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis. We're going to stay with a couple contemporary names. The oldest name involved in today's edition is player number 41, and that is iconic Gary Payton, the glove. Number 41, Gary Payton. We'll go through the accolades. Those should be relatively simple. He has, on the MVP front, it's interesting. He has one top three, as you can see, third in 1998, but six times he was top six. So it's, he has no other top fives. I expanded it to sixth because five separate times he came in sixth in MVP voting. He won a defensive player of the year. Why does that matter? He is the only backcourt player to win defensive player of the year in the last 30 plus seasons. In the 80s, Jordan won, Moncrief won, backcourt guys could win it. From the 90s to right now, the only one to do it was Gary Payton. He's one of the greatest defensive players ever. Payton was a defensive player of the year and, in fact, was the only guard to win the award for 30-plus years. Marcus Smart just broke that streak, actually, this season with Gary Payton presenting him that award as they are now the only two guards to win this award since the 80s. And then you get to the tougher part of Gary's argument, which is he was good in the playoffs it's hard to argue he was great in the playoffs. which Because those accolades I just listed, those types of MVP finishes, those all-NBA appearances, how long he played, and the fact that he, statistically he's never going to get the full, he's always going to get a bit of a short end of the stick because so much of his impact was on defense. He, you would think, deserves to be a little higher than what he is. Some would certainly argue he should be ahead of the guy who's we're about to introduce you to, who's very next on the list, who also is a point guard who played just after Gary. Well, really, at the same time as Gary, it's just they their careers at least overlapped the end of Gary's to the beginning of the next guys. So why is Gary not higher? Because the, the playoff resume has some, we're missing some spots. Now, he was the best player on a finalist. And in that run to the finals in 1996, he was 21, 5, 7, and 2. That matters. 
that absolutely matters. It was the best he ever was. And in those finals, don't listen to what Michael Jordan tried to tell you on that propaganda fest that was called The Last Dance, where he's like, oh, Gary Payton never really bothered, bothered me that much. In those NBA finals, George Carl foolishly did not let Gary guard Michael at the beginning of the series. The Bulls promptly went up three games to nothing. Jordan did whatever he wanted. Then, once they put Gary Payton on Michael, game four the Sonics won, game five the Sonics won, game six was close until the end, the Bulls ended up winning the title. In those final three games, Michael Jordan was 23 points per game and 37% shooting. It is far and away the worst three-game stretch of any of Jordan's finals appearances. So Gary gets credit for that. The problem is on his playoff resume, not a lot of other great moments. He had in 2000, he had one great game against Utah, 35, 10, 11, and 6. That's, you know, the, the one of his few 30-point career playoff games and his only career playoff triple-double. I he Overall, he averaged 22 and 7 during his nine-year playoff prime. Again, that's good, and he did it with great defense, but it wasn't enough to quite break through even when he had Apex Sean Kemp. Now, where I don't think he gets enough credit is this. He was a more than a rotation player for the Miami Heat that won the title in 2006 with Dwayne Wade. During that playoff run, he was 24 minutes per game. So he's at the end of his... Now, the numbers aren't good, but he was valuable enough to be on the court for half of the game in those in that playoff run. And in game five of the 06 finals, the critical game for Miami to win their third straight to go up three games to two, he played 31 minutes in that game. That was a one-point Miami win. So some high leverage moments in there as well. But he's not higher because there's not a lot of great iconic playoff moments we can point to. Let's go to one of our callers on a Gary Payton question. I'm Martin Weiss. I'm about to tell you why Gary Payton is a no doubt top 20 player of all time. First of all, one of the two, three best two-way point guards in the game, 35th all-time in points, 10th all-time in assists. That wasn't even his specialty. Nine defensive teams in a row. I mean, come on. 17-year career, Hall of Famer, top 75 player, and the best NBA trash talker in the history of the game. Top 20, without a doubt. Talk to me, Nick. Am I tripping or no? All right, Martin, you're my guy. That's Martin Weiss. Great job by him. Uh, yeah, you're tripping. There is no argument that can be made that he's one of the 20 greatest players of the last 50 years. There's just not. There's too many other point guards. So, like, forget Magic and Steph and Isaiah, but there isn't a compelling argument that Gary Payton's had a better career than Chris Paul. It just doesn't exist. Chris Paul is also the best player on a team that lost in the finals. His other accolades far outstripped Gary. There's not a compelling argument that he was a better player overall than John Stockton or even Jason Kidd. Both those guys went to two finals. Well, Stockton was the second best player. Kidd was the best. So now we've got, what, seven point guards at a minimum ahead of him? So there's seven point. If there's seven guys in your own position ahead of you, you can't be top 20 all time. But I do appreciate that young Martin is respecting his elders and respecting how, what a great defensive player Gary Payton was. And maybe I should give him a few more bonus points for trash talk. Number 40 is a guy not known for his trash talk, instead known for his beautiful floppy hair, and that is our first Canadian on the list, maybe our only Canadian on the list, one Steve Nash. Number 40, Steve Nash. So you guys know this already. Back-to-back -back MVP, what you might not know is this. 
the th after he went, he won the MVP. The next year he won it again. The very next year, Dirk's year, he came in second. He almost won three straight MVPs. He is a four-time 50, 40, 90 guy. He won five assist titles and it's all NBA teams. Three-time first team, the three years I just mentioned. Two-time second team, two-time third team. So seven total all NBA teams. And his apex with the Suns, I mean, they were the seven second or less Suns were a real thing. And the way if the, if he probably would have shot more, if he would have shot more threes, if they would have had the data that we have now, maybe they do break through. And they did have some bad luck. Demonte, you're too young to remember this, but Joe Johnson was a key player for them. Breaks his face during one playoff run. The notoriously cheap Robert Sarver won't pay him, and he ends up going to Atlanta. Another one, Amari Stoudemire gets suspended after uh, Steve Nash gets body checked by Robert Ory. So he gets suspended for a critical game against the Spurs. They lose. So he had his opportunities. Sometimes they were, you know, you feel like there's some big what ifs. With that said, it's not like he didn't have great playoff moments despite that. He was the best player on a team that made three conference finals. And people should go back and think about when he truly broke through. The year he won league MVP, they are playing Dirk, his old team, his old teammate, Dallas, the team that wouldn't pay him in the West, in the Western Conference semis. Games four, five, and six to move on. Here's what Steve Nash did to get to his first career conference finals to beat his old team to beat Dirk. Game four, 48-5-5, and five, but they lost. So now it's two to two. Game five, 34-13 and 12. They win and move and get to a game six. Game six, 39-9 and 12 to get to his first career Western Conference Finals. All right, so then think about what he did the following year. Down 3-1 to Kobe and the Lakers. Now, it wasn't a great Lakers team, but down 3-1 in the first round. How'd he do? Well, he goes 32-13 and in Los Angeles in game six and then beats Kobe in a game seven, the famous game where Kobe refused to shoot in the second half. So a 3-1 comeback against Kobe when he's the best guy, that's got to matter. From During his three years of when he won league MVPs and almost won a third, in the playoffs, in the playoffs, 21-11 on 50-40-90 in the playoffs over that three-year stretch. And then the brief Steve Nash kind of renaissance, when it looked like the Suns run was over, they make another Western Conference Finals in 2010, and in Western Conference Finals Game 5, it's 2-2 against the Lakers. The defending champion Lakers is a chance to break through and get to your first NBA Finals. He has 29-11, and 11, and that's the game the Suns had won. And then Meta World Peace tips it in. The Lakers go up 3-2, and once again, there's a big what-if with Nash. So he, his apex didn't last quite as long as some other guys because he got started slow because he wasn't really the centerpiece of a guy until he'd been in the league a, damn near a decade. But once he was the centerpiece of a team, they damn near reinvented basketball. He's the 40th best player despite his defensive limitations of the last 50 years. Let's get to our Steve Nash caller. Question for you, Nick. Do you think that Nash's back-to-back -back MVPs have actually hurt his legacy? That so many people make a point of proving that he didn't deserve back-to-back -back MVPs the pendulum has actually swung too far. And if he just had the one MVP, it'd be like, yeah, you know what? He deserved that MVP. But the fact that he got back to back, people want to knock him down. 
Maybe having one would have been better than having two. What do you think? So I think it's an interesting point by Wilds, my buddy, that does the back-to-back MVPs thing almost get used as a cudgel against Nash because we look back on it, we're like, oh my God, he shouldn't have been back-to-back MVP. To a degree, I agree with him that it maybe gets used against him in some barroom arguments, but I don't think it's, for me, it doesn't get used against him when people who know what they're talking about stack him up against the other all-timers because just like with Shaq, you don't hold against him. He only won one. He probably should have three. I don't really, I don't add a ton to Nash's case because he has that second MVP. It's more, there was this brief three-year stretch of time where he was one of the five best players in the league. And that is immensely valuable. It's as similar as the situation that Dwight had. There's a stretch of time where you're a consensus, one of the five best guys. The fact that he won a couple MVPs doesn't help him as much as some might think it should, but it certainly doesn't hurt him in, in my eyes. Now, had he won a third straight, which he almost did, and the list of guys with three straight MVPs are Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird, and Steve Nash, that wouldn't have been great. That might have got him kicked off the list on principle, but they didn't. Dirk ended up winning it. Okay, there it is. We are through players 50 through 40. Next week, we start with player 39. And listen, I'm not supposed to spoil the list, but nothing will get people to tune in like a promise of the ratings bonanza that is in next week's episode. Bob McAdoo, prominently featured. We'll see you then.